Thank you for setting your podcast dial to 14th and G. I'm your host, Dean Hinkson, coming to you from the downtown D.C. offices of Melman, Castagnetti, Rosen, and Thomas. The next three months will be one of the most consequential and expensive legislative periods in many, perhaps any, Congress. The legislative docket is so crowded as the Senate and House get back from the August break, we're going to get right to it in our first ever 2021 in 21 minutes lightning round edition. Joined as always by my faithful companions, Republican Bruce Melman and Democrat David Thomas. Gentlemen, welcome to 14th and G. Let's do this thing. Thanks, Dean. Let's yeah, let's let's go. This is exciting. Hey, break time's over. We're going to run fast and low like a puma. Two massive spending bills teed up. The reconciliation (laughs) bill. The big boy could be as much as 3.5 trillion in massive social spending. The bipartisan infrastructure bill passed by the Senate, a trillion dollars in roads and bridges. Government funding expires at the end of the month. We hit the national debt limit in October. The trains are piling into the station. David Thomas, you're the Democrat. You guys run this town. Reconciliation. The House committees are writing the bill right now. $3.5 trillion is the ceiling. Joe Manchin says strategic pause. Speaker Pelosi says full steam ahead. How's it going to get done? When's it going to get done? Uh, the answer is uh, Speaker Pelosi is right. Full steam ahead. They are uh, working as we speak here. Deadline of the 15th for committees to get their uh, work done and into the budget committee. And uh, nobody has uh, backed off on that date yet. So I think uh, the speaker has the pedal to the metal. She's going to get her uh, stuff done. And then uh, and then we'll turn to the Senate. I think ultimately the moderates win. And here's why. If you're the progressives, you have three and a half to six trillion dollars of spending you want. The moderates are going to say, we'll give you the 1.1 infrastructure, which the progressives want. It's not like they don't like it. But we'll give you one or one and a half of the 3.5 you want. So you can either give $2 trillion of spending towards the Biden agenda, half a loaf, or if the progressives, you can say, we're going to take our toys and walk. Two and a half trillion or two trillions, a lot more than zero. If you go zero, the moderates go back and they say, I, I stood up for the, for the national debt. I stood up for prudence. They didn't have to take a tough vote for tax. Uh, Manchin's got all the cards here. What I'll say this in a 50 50 Senate, everybody uh, has the power there. Um, uh, you know, Senator Manchin obviously is going to get his way here, but as the discussions go forward, he will be at the table. Uh, but at the end of the day, there is not a slowdown here. They have to keep pushing here. They want to get this thing done and particularly wrapped up by the end of the year because then we turn to the elections. All right. But the biggest leverage point on the reconciliation bill is the bipartisan infrastructure bill. It's passed the Senate, it's awaiting action in the House. We've set a date of September 27th. Are progressives going to let it go before the reconciliation bill is done? AOC says no. What say you, David Thomas? Well, I think that a lot of that depends on what's going to happen over the next uh, 10 days or so uh, in the House. Can the uh, Budget Committee put together a bill? Can the bill uh, come to the floor and can it pass? I think if they can get that uh, done in the next two weeks here, Uh, there'll be a strong case to then move forward on infrastructure here. Obviously, the Senate is not going to have it done on that timeline here. But uh, the Speaker had also said she wanted to get that done by the 30th because of the surface transportation reauthorization deadline. So, uh, you know, we're talking about a matter of days here. Uh, You know, I'm an eternal optimist. I say as it gets done. I agree. I think it's going to get done as well. Uh, It's nice to see as well that bipartisanship can actually be alive and well and have things done. I don't believe that the progressives who are threatening to execute Biff, if they don't get all of the spending they want, are in the end going to say, let's go with zero dollars and head into the election with an issue 
and no funding. So you get a reconciliation bill done in the House by the end of the month. It goes over to the Senate, which where the parliamentarian is going to rip it to shreds. But based on House passage, I guess the progressives will let the bipartisan infrastructure bill go. Next issue, Afghanistan. Biden's polling is down. His botched pullout has has damaged him significantly. Has it permanently damaged Joe Biden? And what does it mean for the 22 midterms? Uh, No, it has not permanently uh, damaged uh, Joe Biden. I do not think the Afghanistan issue will be a large issue in the midterms here. The things that will determine how the midterms go are going to be the state of COVID and the state of the economy. We are 425 days from the midterm elections. Um, That is an eternity in politics, and it's a pretty long time anyway. I I went back and I looked at what we were doing 425 days ago. President Trump was commuting the sentence of Roger Stone. Not a lot of people are talking about <laughs> Roger Stone's commutation anymore. I don't think Afghanistan will be a major issue, although Republicans will try to make it one. I just don't think it's going to be an issue that has a large effect on the outcome of the midterms. Of course, DT, one of the reasons that nobody was talking about Roger Stone is in the subsequent 400 and however many days, there were 500 more outrageous things to focus on. I'm hoping that's not the Biden strategy. You never know. I agree that there aren't going to be a lot of remember Kabul bumper stickers heading uh, into the election next midterm. However, I do think it's left the mark. It crushed any media honeymoon that was remaining for the president. The president would talk about his expertise in foreign policy. This did not speak to an expertise in foreign policy. And while everybody gives the uh, should give the administration credit for ending a war that almost all Americans in polls wanted to be out of. The execution was not good. And as a result, it's it's going to undermine and reduce the power of the administration to bring people along on other issues that will be midterm relevant. I'm with Bruce on this. It leaves a mark and the adults are back in the room. Thematics Biden wanted to drive his administration are permanently damaged. What used to consume our fall period was the funding of the government. Government funding expires on September 30th. Are we going to get a short-term extension here? Are we going to pass all 12 appropriations bills or is the government going to shut down? The good old days when we only worry about a shutdown. Uh, Dean, uh, we are not going to have a shutdown. We are not going to pass all 12 bills in the next 20 days here. So we are looking at an, a short-term extension. My understanding is that the Appropriations Committee has not determined the ex- exact length of that uh, yet, but I assume it's going to be at least a few weeks. And that will give more time to uh, to try to come with a larger omnibus propose, uh, proposal. And I think there'll be discussion about emergency supplemental appropriations uh, to deal with the natural disasters in the Gulf of Mexico, on the East Coast, and the fires out in California. So while I'll agree with DT that I think there will ultimately be a uh, CR, a congressional resolution, to not have the government shut down for much, we know that the Democratic strategy right now is to attach the debt ceiling increase, which they will get zero Republican votes. So I'm a little worried that, you know, lest uh, we missed the drama of a good old government shutdown, it sure feels like this is going to be set up with the Dems hoping the media will agree that failing to increase the debt ceiling is shutting the government down. I don't think the media is going to agree this time. This is not (laughs) Ted Cruz inspiring House Republicans to shut the government down because they thought maybe that would get rid of the Affordable Care Act. And this is not Newt Gingrich, uh, you know, flying in the back of Air Force One. This is Republicans ready to not shut the government down and Democrats demanding that the increase that the debt ceiling go up by many trillions of dollars. It's a distinction, but it's an important one. Government funding funds the functions of the government, obviously, that when you hit the debt limit, we risk defaulting on our debt. 
The Democrats have said we will not go it alone on reconciliation, even though they control all three levers of the executive and legislative branches. They could easily put a debt limit raise into reconciliation. But how do they get Republicans on board if they won't do that? Uh, well, look, here, here's what I'd point out is that under uh, President Trump and under past uh, Republican presidents here, Democrats have always raised the debt ceiling and gone along with it. It is when Democrats are in charge that suddenly Republicans have a problem uh, raising uh, the debt ceiling here. Senator McConnell wants this to be an issue that he can try to uh, pick up Senate seats uh, next year and have it be a talking point here. But the fact is, the the, the debt that has been run up uh, this is not new spending. This is to pay for spending that has already occurred occurred under President Trump. Boy, this is going to be a heck of a stare off in the Senate over the next uh, uh, couple of weeks here. We'll see who blinks first. Well, and look, DT, of course, you're right. The idea of the debt ceiling is one of the stupidest issues of all time because this is money the government, the Congress already voted to spend. The idea that they're not voted, they, they vote, they spent the money. Whether you think they spent it on tax cuts or whether you think they spent it on COVID relief or whether you think they spent it on the annual spending hundreds of billions more than we're actually collecting, doesn't really matter where you attribute the it, the, the money to have gone. That said, Republicans uh, are simply going to say there is a way to get the debt ceiling done. What we've seen is the administration typically needs it the most. If you think uh, a uh, Republicans are gonna are gonna blink. And, uh, and embrace what I agree should be done is the right thing to be done. Um, we're watching different movies because it sure has seemed to me that the party out of power, to coin a phrase, views increasing the debt ceiling as a failure of leadership. Democrats should put this on reconciliation. It's, it's their show. They run it. They have the responsibility for it, but they're not going to do that. They don't want to take full responsibility for it. McConnell will get his pound of flesh and we will get the debt ceiling raised. The other thing that usually consumes our fall coming back from the August break, the annual defense bill, the National Defense Authorization Act, affectionately known as the NDAA. Uh, is this the first year it might not get done? It seems to have some pretty good momentum. Uh, I think it'll I think get it, done. I agree with you, Bruce. I think it gets done as well. There were a lot of questions about it last year getting done, and it got done. I think it gets done again. Well, uh, look, I agree it's going to get done. It's one of several areas in which bipartisanship actually happens. I think there's still a good shot at a China bill, um, which passed in the Senate in a bipartisan fashion. The reason we don't pay attention to bipartisanship is because the partisanship is so loud and ugly. Well, to that point, Bruce, the China competition bill did pass the Senate. It's sitting in the House. It seems to be languishing. It, it doesn't seem to have much momentum. I think Speaker Pelosi has called it a uh, Schumer priority and something the House may or may not get to, depending on how they see it. Well, first, it's good policy. Second, as the Democrats think about what they're defending on in the midterm. Uh, Republicans are attacking on big tech. They're attacking on China. They're attacking on a woke lash, border lash, stimulash. Why, would, why wouldn't the Democrats advance something that is bipartisan, many of them agree on, and that incorporates many of the Biden administration's priorities in foreign policy? Uh, I think I'll agree with you, Bruce. I think it does get done. And uh, the only uh, delay will be there are so many things that have to get done first before the House will then take up the China bill. But I think at the end of the day, that'll end up on the president's desk. Bruce, the antitrust issue got some additional momentum this week. Uh, the FTC continues going hard at Facebook. Antitrust seems to have really coalesced uh, to, to really be the weapon used in the tech lash. Uh, Senator Chuck Grassley, the ranking Republican on the Judiciary Committee, 
is in talks with Senator Klobuchar, who has been running the antitrust agenda in the Senate. Those two combined, boy, that seems like a lot of momentum for antitrust legislation. Is there a big tech breakup in the offing? Uh, No, (laughs) Uh, I don't think first there's legislative calendar floor time in the Senate for them to have legislation on the floor and pass number one. Number two, you, I, I'm keying on your use of the word breakup. I don't believe the proposed breakup legislation, which won't, I don't believe that will be what Klobuchar Grassley ultimately agree on. There are various gradations of competition policy proposals. The most extreme are breakup proposals. I don't see them going forward, not least because lots of other uh, sectors have large companies as well, and nobody wants to to uh, see the United States attacking all of its most successful companies for what some would call the curse of bigness. Uh, Bruce, I'll agree with you on that, and I think there are uh, a lot of members, obviously, over in the House as well. Congressman Cicilline has a lot of interest in uh, looking at our antitrust laws here. Uh, to me, I think there's going to be more discussion here before we coalesce around a bill to change those laws. And that's going to take some more time. Well, DT, a couple of other items that really have the attention, uh, I believe, of House progressives and, and, and Senate Democrats as well. The, the sort of the dual issues of elections reform and police reform. The House has made repeated efforts on this, but neither seem to have any traction in the Senate. But it sure does create a lot of noise on the Democratic side. Do you see any hope for either of those issues? Boy, it's it's hard to see hope right now unless the uh, filibuster rules are changed. And uh, that does not seem to be in the cards at the moment. That Senator Manchin, Senator Cinema, and uh, quietly others have concerns about changing those rules. And until they change their mind, uh, more progressive Democrats can complain about it. But I just don't know how you get it on. Frustrating for, for a lot of Democrats here because these are incredibly important uh, issues, um, social justice issues, uh, election issues. Uh, we haven't talked about the, the the Texas abortion law, which uh, I expect the House will take up another bill that will then get stuck in the Senate. You know, the, the functioning of the Senate and things getting blocked, I know, is something that we've uh, sort of joked about before here. But a lot of Democrats feel like this has really become a crisis situation. But it's hard for me to see a path on those bills getting through the Senate at this point. Well, you got a China competition bill under some form of regular order. We've got the uh, we've got the bipartisan infrastructure deal. Bruce Tim Scott, senator from South Carolina. Uh, continues to participate in negotiations, at least on the police reform side, there may be something that can can come out of that. Well, I think there are definitely things that can come out of that. There's room for a bipartisan compromise that would make things better. It wouldn't solve all the problems and it would hardly achieve uh, as much as the uh, as the House passed legislation on police reform would do for progressives. That may be uh, insufficient for them to agree to the compromise, as with so many of these things. The leaders are going to have to decide when they want issues to take to the voters and when they want accomplishments. Accomplishments require compromise. Issues don't. DT, you brought up the Texas abortion law and the possibility of a congressional response here. This is the granddaddy of all social issues. Could be a midterm rallying cry, but I wonder for which side it might drive more voters to the polls. Boy, that's a great question, Dean. I mean, I know the, the Speaker Pelosi has already said she will be bringing something to the uh, floor of the House that, that would address the uh, issue down in Texas here. Uh, again, that that uh, is not going to go anywhere in the Senate. I know the Attorney General is looking at ways to protect the rights of citizens uh, down in Texas and likely other places, because I think there'll be copycat laws uh, throughout the throughout the South as well. We probably see more of those bills. Who 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 does it drive out more? Uh, difficult to say uh, right now, but I know there's a heck of a lot of concern amongst the Democrats that I talk to about uh, 
this this uh, growing concern here. And there are no easy solutions. Uh, the uh, the Supreme Court right now is a really a, a far right court, and and uh, it's hard to see how that changes in, in even the medium or long term here. It's a, it's a tough set of cards for Democrats who care about these issues. Well, and I, I might agree here, DT. The uh, I mean, this is a uniquely stupid law. This is not simply a let's repeal Roe v. Wade. What Texas has done is they said, and I agree with the Wall Street Journal pay, editorial page on this. They've said let's empower everybody to be a vigilante and everybody can sue everybody. And so you can, you know, if you think your employer's plan is enabling it, sue those guys. Uh, I believe what you're going to see over the next 12 months is a huge number of lawsuits with everyone suing everyone. That I mean, I'm not sure when conservatism said uh, private rights of action uh, are to be encouraged as a way to solve problems. But I think, uh, I think this is a particularly inelegant effort to get at a uh, an issue that that merits debate, but not this way. And it's Boys. really unclear to me how a private right of action versus using the power of the state can obviate what is uh, a constitutional right. And so when California outlaws guns, but doesn't enforce it through the police, but but through a private right of action, does that get you around the Bill of Rights? I, I, I'm, I'm really not clear on how that operates. And don't you think that California law has got to be around the corner? Of course. Yeah. Well, uh, Bruce, when when you said everyone suing everyone here, just maybe that is uh, you know the lasting gift of the uh, Donald Trump administration here. Um, it's just it really is shocking, and I, I, I'm not quite sure how this stands uh, over time here. But you better believe other states are going to be, uh, whether it's California, New York, or others are going to pass similar laws on, on controversial issues. Guys, this pandemic continues to drag on. We've tried to make comebacks to, to, to in-person and fits and starts, the Delta variant. There's another variant lurking out there. It's not, we know there's going to be a new normal. But when are we going to have some certainty of what that new normal is and, and when we're going to be back in place on a more permanent basis? Is the ivermectin treatment a game changer? <laughs> so, uh, no, uh, don't try it at home. But, but you know, on that, uh, Dino, there's actually a bigger thing I'm, I'm observing afoot here. The ivermectin discussion, frankly, shows exactly what's wrong with both sides. So on the right, you have this crazy conspiracy theory where it's more important to own the libs than to cure the disease, where the negative partisanship, where it matters being against stuff is transformed into negative medicine. And, you know, just take whatever the docs tell you you can't take. And if Trump says it, believe it. And, and if his opponents say it, don't believe it. But it also on the left shows a level of condescending dishonesty where it's Ivermectin was discovered in 1975. The guys who found it got a Nobel Prize in physiology or medicine. It's a human drug first that has a variation that can be used for, for animals, uh, you know, for, for, for veterinary medicine. But then for like CNN to have its cry on, you know, uh, Joe Rogan taking deworming medicine, that's just not true. Rolling Stone comes out with a story saying that gunshot victims are being turned away from hospitals in Oklahoma because of so many ivermectin overdoses. Not true. And people are, I don't know if the media figures it's worth it because we've got to scare people away from using it. So it doesn't matter if we're right or we're wrong, but it's it, a good example, a stalking horse, if you will, for all that's wrong on the left and all that's wrong on the right. Bruce, the I, I got to 
jump in here because the the both sides in it ism uh, on on this and the way you started this conversation really does get my dander up here. Look, there's one side that is doing exactly what you're saying here. It is uh, not getting vaccinated here. It is taking unproven uh, drugs here because Donald Trump or others say that's a good idea. It is uh, clear if you, one gets vaccinated, if one wears masks, that is the way to get through this pandemic here. That is the side of the both sides that I want to be on. And I know it's the side that you would want to be on as well. You know, the 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 outrageousness here on the politicization of how to get over this uh, pandemic is really uh, stomach churning here. And I know it's frustrating to all of us who, who wish we could get through it. And it seems like there is a path if we could just get uh, people to use a little common sense. Well, I'm going to commend to you both the uh, FX network treatment of the Clinton impeachment saga. I watched episode one last night. It is uh, maybe a little overwrought, but good stuff. I am still waiting on the appearance of Zac Efron playing the part of Vice President Gore's Director of Legislative Affairs. David Thomas, any idea which episode that'll be? Uh, I'm afraid. I think I ended up on the cutting room floor in that one, and I don't really need to watch it, Dean. I was there. I uh, I lived it, although I want to be clear, I was not in the West Wing at the time. I was spending my time up in the Capitol uh, while all that was going on. I, I do remember at a brief point the day that the House impeached President Clinton for about a half hour. I sat at my desk and I wondered, am I going to be working for the President of the United States at the end of the day? Of course, it didn't happen. And uh, that impeachment looks almost quaint uh, looking back on it now. But boy, what a crazy time. But there was a happy ending, DT. Uh, uh, oh, Bruce. well guys here we go over the falls in a barrel Uh, join us again when we will do 2021 in 21 minutes thanks for listening bruce melman david thomas thanks for joining me on 14th and g thank you dean thanks dean